This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We're going to talk about some of the most improved players in baseball, and we're going to focus on one who, shockingly, is not having the kind of performance you'd expect from someone who we're going to say has improved. We're going to ask if the Brewers have baseball's best defense, not just this year, but on our record. We're talking about the Tampa Bay pitcher who just had the best start of 2018. It's not going to be Sergio Romo. I'm sorry. And then finally, we have to talk about Daniel Polka. I know none of you know who Daniel Polka is, but that will change today. I promise you, Matt, are you interested in talking about the most improved hitters of 2018 so far? Well, yes, I am. Some of these names are not going to surprise you. Um, Mookie Betts is the most improved hitter of 2018. I'm going to explain what this means, okay. I promise. I'm going to say Mookie Betts is the most improved hitter because that's not surprising. He's fantastic. The way I looked at this, I took every hitter who had at least 100 uh, contacted batted balls of each of the last two years, simply looked at expected weighted on base because that accounts for both quality of contact and amount of contact. So strikeouts, walks, launch angle, exit velocity, all baked in. Uh, the league average expected weighted on base is 331, so just keep that in mind. If you look down this list, there's lots of really good reasons for these guys. Number one, Mookie Betts, 341 last year, somewhat above average. 513 this year, monster. I know he's hurt right now. He should be coming back this weekend. I think he's back. Yeah, he's supposed to be due back tomorrow, I think. But anyway. Uh, so that's a, that's a difference of 172 points. And the second place guy in this list, also a Boston Red Sox, Xander Bogarts, 286 last year, not so good. 393 this year, very good. What's funny about this is I think most people are going to hear these two Red Sox names and they're going to think, oh, aggressiveness, right? That was the whole story this offseason. Alex Cora wanted them to smash hittable fastballs in the zone, and that's true. Uh, they have improved in that sense, but to me, this is a story about health. Both of these guys played through hand injuries last year, right? I, I remember uh, Mookie Betts got hit in the hand by, I think, Jacob Faria, maybe it was. Uh, they both played through pain last year. They both had pretty unimpressive second halves. This year, they're healthy. Uh, they've got a better approach. They are, I would say, the two most improved hitters in baseball. I think the numbers back this up, and the eye test does too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of my favorite stats of last year, I mean, favorite, just in terms of things I noticed, was that last year, in all of his plate appearances, Xander Bogarts had six barrels. Yes, uh, bar- talk, I'm sure we talked about it. Yeah, we, I think we talked about this in the podcast. Barrels is the stat cast metric, basically, that for like a perfectly hit batted ball, essentially. A batted ball with a high ch- probability of becoming an extra base hit. Um, this year, he already has 18. Um, last year, Betts had 25 all season. This year, he already has 31. So these guys are, in terms of like actually making like legitimate home run caliber contact, they are already surpassed what they did in all of 2017. That's right. And if you look down this list, there's a lot of fun reasons here. Daniel Robertson is number three, plus 84 points of expected win on a base. We talked about him last week. Obvious swing changer, right? Michael Brantley, obvious health. Matt Kemp, Better, best shape of his life. We've talked about this. He's still in the top three of most added sprint speed from last year to this year. Matt Kemp having a phenomenal year. Not surprising to see him on this list. Um, you know, Andrelton Simmons, uh, he just got hurt too. He's a really interesting name because he's kind of stopped striking out. 
Yeah, and, like he's like he's become like a real throwback. He's like not you don't see this anymore. Basically, he's he's, he's like the one guy who's he's like the one good hitter who's seeing his strikeout rate go way down. Yes, uh, Mitch Haniger was on this list. Plus seventy points, plus sixty eight points from last year. Had an oblique injury last year. Now here's the most interesting name to me. Ahmed Rosario is on this list. Would you believe this? Ahmed Rosario. 233 expected weighted on base last year. That is brutal. This year, 306. So we're not talking about a superstar hitter by any means, but the numbers, uh, as far as expected weighted on base, say that he's gone from being absolutely terrible to slightly below average. However, the actual outcomes do not back this up. Last year, 170 plate appearances, not so good. He had a 271 on base, 394 slugging, a 282 weighted on base. This year, 284 on base, 366 slugging, a 284 weighted on base. If you look at weighted runs created plus, he's up from 74 to 79. OPS just within a couple of points. He has had essentially the exact same year, except if you look at literally everything except for the outcomes. And I know for the Mets right now, that's all that matters. They need the hits. They need the runs. But it's really weird. If you look at this, he's got a plus 73 point weighted expected weighted on base improvement. That's massive. Why isn't he? Why isn't he actually improving? What's happening here? I mean, some of it, some of it appears to be just. Some of it's BABIP. Um, his BABIP's way down, about tw- 25 points. And for someone with his speed, you'd expect a relatively high BABIP. The thing about Rosario, and as uh, many of you probably know, I watch a lot of Mets games, uh, probably against my better judgment at this point. <laughs> um, he does hit the ball hard. I mean, he's still his strike zone judgment is still, you know, not great. He has a walk rate of 3.9%. Greater, that's much better than 1.8 last year. Um, and his strikeouts are down from 29% to 21%. Um, but when he... When he makes contact, he hits the ball hard. So that's sort of why I'm relatively optimistic. You know, maybe not superstar hitter down the road, but, you know, he's still pretty young, only 22 years old, and was always kind of raw as a hitter. So there's reasons to be optimistic that, like, there there's something there. And this 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 weighted on base versus uh, expected weighted on base difference sort of suggests that maybe there is something there. Well, you're right. Uh, very fast guys don't tend to underperform this way. Like, yeah, this is usually where you see Kendris Morales, you know, Miguel Cabrera. What uh, what's, what's fun to me is if you look at all of the reasons why that expected weighted on base would have improved, you go up and down the list. As you said, strikeout rate down from 29% to 21%. Walk rate up to 4%, still bad. Last year was 2%. Launch angle up from 72 to 92 Hard hit rate, this is really good. 25% last year, 36% this year. That's slightly above average. Uh, exit velocity up from 84.3 to 88.8. So really all of the things you want to see in terms of actual skills are headed in the right direction. He's still hitting 251. <laughs> still got a 284 weighted on base. Now part of it is uh, he's tripled his pop-up rate. Pop-ups are basically strikeouts. You don't want that. He's also, he got off to a really, he's sort of the opposite of all the other Mets. He got off to a really bad start this year. In April, a 268 weighted on base. In May, a 309 weighted on base. Uh, June, you know, only a couple days in, he had a pretty decent road trip that they just completed. He just seems, it seems like he's missing some slugging, right? If I look at his batting average, 255, uh, his uh, expected batting average, 263, that's pretty close. His slugging of 372 is expected slugging of 416. Now there's the gap. And I'm, I, it's just, you're right. He has more power than I would have thought. If you look at his his average fly ball and line drive distance, 287 feet, it's the same as Andrew Benatendi, same as Carlos Correa. He's got more power than I think I would have expected. And it's, I don't have a good answer. I think that's the problem here. Yeah, think. it's, he's... The the comp someone gave on uh, a, a prospect expert gave on him to me last year was Elvis Andrus as far as like that's what his like sort of like he sees his future as being which I sort of see as like I could see as a realistic upside in terms of overall production but Andrus Andrus actually has more power similarly Andrus is someone who's had more power than you expect but Andrus always drew a fair amount of walks which is not something that like 
Rosario has really done. But I could see, like, if you're looking at, like, full package of overproduction, if the power comes around, I could see, like, Elvis Andres on defense with a little more power, a little less patience. I remember last year, every all the Mets fans were crying for Ahmed Rosario to come up because he's doing really well in AAA. Months and months, they say, we, we need him up, we need him up, come up. He doesn't actually do much. He hasn't done much so far. And I've never really been a big fan of his hit tool. But here's the question. If the Mets have the opportunity to trade a Mets desire for Manny Machado, do you do it? At this moment? I say I say no, because I think the Mets have a lot of problems that Machado alone will not fix. But I've also never been that huge on Rosario, so I go back and forth. I mean, it's a rental, so I would not do it at this point. And I think that, like, you know, if you're the Mets, you kind of have to start... I think at this point, you kind of start looking ahead to next year and hoping that, okay, Rosario is on a path of being, you know, an above-average shortstop. He's a, he's a very good defender. Um, an above-average shortstop. And you hope that... Michael Conforto can sort of rediscover whatever it is that has sort of maybe it is the shoulder that is that he hurt last year. But at this point, I think you kind of have to just sort of hit reset and say, okay, what are our long-term assets? And Rosario is one of them. Now, usually Matt and I work off the same packet of notes here, but today I've purposely held one back. We looked at the most improved hitters in baseball. Do you happen to know I have the list here of the the least improved hitters, one of the ones who've gone back the furthest of regular players, 100 contacts in each of the last two years? Who's on this list? Well, while we're talking about the Mets, I'm going to say Jay Bruce. No. Not Jay Bruce. There is a different Met on the bottom six. There is a different Met on this list. Um, We're talking a lot about health. Conforto? Michael Conforto. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. He was 385 last year, 334 this year. Um, Number one is also this guy who's been hurt this year, Jonathan Scope. Uh, I was pretty good last year. He's been atrocious this year. Orlando Arcia has already been sent down to the minors. And um, the the third guy on this list, uh, I think he's hurt now, but he has had something of a historically poor season. He's an American League outfielder. Oh, I was going to say Chris Davis. Is Chris Davis on the list? Uh, he's not on this part of the list. Oh, because I, I saw Dan Zimborski tweeting today that like Chris Davis well, is on pace for like the worst yes. war season by Fangraphs war so, in baseball history. I saw someone tweet yesterday that Davis had played in like all but one of the Orioles games and had scored nine runs, <laughs> which is unbelievable. Cole Calhoun is who I'm talking about. Oh, yes. We've talked about Cole. Haven't we oh, talked? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Carlos Correa, surprisingly, is having a kind of a poor season. And then Cody Bellinger. Dave Roberts actually had to answer questions about whether Cody Bellinger would go back to the minors this week. That's crazy. I mean, Correa is actually one of these guys who every year I'm like, okay, this is the year Carlos Correa basically destroys the league. Yeah. I thought it was going to be this year it's, too. It just still hasn't really happened. Last year before he got hurt, uh, he looked like he might be on that path. Like when he, before he got hurt last year, I was like, oh, if someone on the Astros wins MVP, it's going to be Correa. Um, of course, then Altuve ended up winning it. So I'm definitely surprised – because Correa still had some big moments in the postseason, so I'm just surprised by the arc of his season this year. Because I sort of, in my mind, he's one of the top ten players in the league, but he's not performing like it. He's not going to make the All Star team this year. He's not. Well, there's a lot of good shortstops. I know in the that's league. my point. AL shortstops are basically having a historically good season. Uh, Machado, I think, is going to be the start there, or maybe Francisco Lindor. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, I wrote this week at MLB.com that the Cubs are the best team in the National League, and I I believe that to be true. They are, you know, top three in pretty much everything you can think of. They have a massive run differential, but they are not in first place. The Milwaukee Brewers are in first place. And I think a big part of that, uh, we know the bullpen's been very good. Josh Hader, Jimmy Jeffers, their their defense has been phenomenal. And if you look at the StatCast outfield uh, range metric, outs above average, they are number one right now. They have 13 outs above average tied with Pittsburgh, but they have the most catch percentage added. And what that means is we take the expected number of catches they ought to have made and then the actual. So they were expected to make 87% of the balls hit their way. They've actually caught 91%. That's a gain of plus four. No team since 2016, when we have this available, has made it through a full year at plus four. The 2016 Royals were the closest at plus three. So not surprising there. You add Lorenzo Cain, 
You add Christian Yelich. You don't play Ryan Braun as much in the outfield. Better outfield. I don't think that's too shocking. But what's interesting to me is, will they have one of the best overall defensive units on record? Now, we don't have enough StatCast information to say that, so we're going to go to uh, some of the other advanced metrics like DRS. They lead Major League Baseball in DRS right now. Plus that's four, defensive seven. run save yes. for you, uh, not those non-well-versed in, defen- in, in uh, advanced defensive metrics. They are on pace, and I'm well aware of all the flaws of on pace, but it's what we have at the moment for 101 defensive run saved. Since 2002, when this was uh, first measured, the best defensive run save team was the 2005 Phillies of Chase Utley and Jimmy Rollins at plus 97, just ahead of the 2016 Cubs, who we talked a ton about, 2013 Royals, that makes sense, and the 2012 Braves, who had Jason Hayward, Michael Bourne, and Andrelton Simmons. Those are some pretty impressive teams. Even though these metrics can be flawed, uh, it's hard to look at those teams and say, oh, those weren't actually the greatest defensive teams of the last decade or so. Yeah, I think we talked about the Brewers a few weeks ago on the show, and it's it's not just, I mean, they went out and got, they basically went and got two center fielders this off, two good center fielders this year, and one of them's playing left field. So it really, you, you see why, you see the benefits of a move like that uh, in the numbers right here. And, you know, I think we said this too, they're not playing Keon Broxton this year. Broxton did not hit last year, but he was actually a pretty good outfielder. Um, I think an underrated part of it is that Domingo Santana, who was poor last year, has made a pretty nice step up this year. And you can see the impact of this uh, with the pitching staff. Pitching staff, you know, Josh Hader's side has been okay. The rotation hasn't been great in the middle of the pack. It was never expected to be great. Yeah. No, especially without Jimmy Nelson. I mean, they need Jimmy Nelson to come back. Uh, if you look at their uh, expected batting average compared to their actual batting average, they have the third largest gap uh, in baseball. They have a 334 expected batting average, but they're only allowing a 308. So that's a pretty big deal. That's 26-point difference. That's tied uh, behind only the Cubs. So you can see how this is helping the pitching staff. Obviously, a lot of these balls aren't dropping in. I also like this. If you look at all of the batted balls that the pitching staff has allowed, with a hit probability of at least 75%, they have made 37 outs on those plays. That is tied for third behind the Royals and the Padres. That's kind of cool. I thought it's an, it's an interesting team. I mean, this is like you know they're they're kind of coming at it from a different way, improving their defense. You know, there's an argument that at least for year one, Renzo Kane has been the best free agent signing of the offseason. You know, I'm. Remember- I guess JD Martinez is probably in the conversation well, too. But um, we can toot our own horns for a minute. I am remembering all the uh, people freaking out about signing it a over 30 speed based center fielder to a long term deal, and we looked at it. And we're like, no, this is great. It's going to be fine. So far, so good. I'm pretty pleased about that. Also, interesting, they are one of the only teams that are shifting less this year. Uh, last year, they shifted 25% of the time. This year, 20% of the time. Most teams have gone up and shifted more. They have shifted less. I don't know if that actually has any impact on this, but I thought it was interesting. Their yeah. is going in one way, and they're going the other way. And we know that their GM came from the Astros, David Stern, so he's clearly someone who would be inclined to put a shifting team on the field. It's now time for a segment that we like to call Making the Complex Simple, presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Moans. Click and loans. Today's topic is Blake Snell. Blake Snell just had the best start of the season with a huge caveat. Did you know that this year there have been over 1,600 starts of at least 20 plate appearances? And if we look at all of them sorted by expected weighted on base, Blake Snell, this most recent Sunday, had the best start of the season. Now, how do we measure this? He had 12 strikeouts. He had zero walks. Gave up two singles, but this is the most important part. One of those singles was 103 miles an hour off the bat to Ryan Healy. Nothing else he allowed the entire game was above 90 miles an hour. That's fantastic. Yeah, that reminds me. It sort of reminds me of uh, when when uh, Jordan Lyles. Yes, Jordan Lyles was pitching that perfect game a few weeks ago into like the eighth 
which is still kind of crazy that that happened. Um, I looked it up, and in the game, he had nothing with a hit probability above like 25% until, of course, he gave up a hit. But, do, you, um, do you realize that Jordan Lyles is number three on this list? Have you seen this? <laughs> That's Jordan Lyles on May 14th had the third best start of the season, minimum 20 plate appearances by expected weight in a base. Now, the huge caveat here being you can get to your minimum 20 and then get out, right? If you are James Paxton and going the full nine, that's obviously a little bit more impressive. We're not accounting for the the innings beyond 20 point appearances. But still, I thought this is an interesting way to look at it. Hits can drop or not drop based on, you know, batted ball luck, defense, all that sort of stuff. But when I see a guy, zero walks, 12 strikeouts, one hard hit ball, uh, that's dominant. That is the definition of dominant. He struck out the first seven batters of the game. Yes, he tied an American <laughs> League record by striking out the first seven uh, batters of the game. And, you know, Blake Snell has... I think we talk about the Rays and we think, okay, Chris Archer's not having a good year. Everybody's hurt, right? Now, I think, didn't Anthony Bonda just blow out his elbow too? Yes. So it's him, it's Jose De Leon, it's Brent Honeywell, probably forgetting somebody else. And of course, they're, uh, you know, turning the baseball world upside down with the openers. Blake Snell has been like their rock. And it, it's kind of a big surprise to me, I think. It's He's had a weird development path because, like, there was actually a brief period, um, you know, on MLB Pipeline, we, um, update our prospect list as they go. They're sort of a, a living, breathing thing. So, like, when guys graduate, you know, like, when the season began, Otani was number one. He's now graduated because he's no longer rookie eligible. So, at this moment, Acuna's number one, but he'll probably, you know, graduate soon, and then it'll be Lagarero Jr. A couple years ago, there was a – right before he came up, Blake Snell, I think it was – if he wasn't the number one prospect in baseball, pitcher. he was the number one pitcher in baseball. So, like, you know, he didn't get as much hype because he plays for the Rays. Um but this guy's legit. Like the fact that he's now looks like he's becoming uh, an elite starter shouldn't be surprising. It's just that like he comes from an organization that doesn't come with a lot of fanfare, and he had a rocky first you know couple of years to his career. Last year he made twenty four starts with an ERA of four point oh four, which is fine. But it was he got demoted. Yeah, he, it was. He it spent was, like half a June in AAA last year, uh, and but you can see that if you look at him this year, I think he's a top ten starter, right? Uh, if you look at just let's say weighted on base, he's eighth. Right, eighth of eighth of uh, 121 guys with 200 plate appearances, eighth behind some really good names. Right, Verlander, Scherzer, Nola, Severino, Degrom, Cole, Kluber, Blake Snell is eighth, 14th in expected weighted on base. And you're right, this sort of started midway through last year because I went back and I did this not just for 2018, but starting at the All Star break of 2017. Um, from then on, 175 guys with 200 plate appearances, ninth in weighted on base. 12th and expected weighted on base and this roughly coincides with him moving from the third base side of the rubber uh, to the first base side and if you remember like even when he came up he would you know he'd strike some guys out it'd look really good he would just throw a ton of pitches he would walk everybody and he would never get deep into games last year in the first half a 15 percent strikeout rate second half an eight percent strikeout rate this year a seven percent strikeout rate so i mean walk rate uh, excuse me yes all of that walk rate but pretty clearly that this is a guy who's throwing a little more strikes missing more bats and uh, you know, progressing into a legitimate ace and had, in some sense, the best start of the season. That's what I'm going to say. I, I, I mean, great take. Great take. I thought it was a great take. Also, by the way, third lowest hard hit rate in baseball <laughs> behind Jacob deGrom, number two, and Ross Stripling, number one. Ross Stripling, a story unto himself. Uh, but was he a former guest of the Statcast podcast? Yes, he was. He was indeed a guest. I, think, I feel like we talked about this last week, but anyway, uh, we did because remember he's a stockbroker and he's very smart and he's into numbers and all that. Uh, Blake Snell, by the way, an ace. So I think he's going to make the All Star team this year. That segment was making the complex simple, presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is simple, so you can understand the details and get approved in as few as eight minutes. Apply simply, understand fully. Mortgage confidently at rocketmortgage.com. Based on a sample of Rocket Mortgage clients who met qualifying approval criteria and specific loan requirements at the time of application. Results may vary. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. And then our final topic. 
Daniel Palka. Do you know who Daniel Palka is? Have I you? do. I do now. Daniel Palka, um, I noticed, was crushing the ball recently. And, uh, you know, at first, when I became aware of Daniel Palka this spring, it was because he was a man whose name was Palka and he plays for a Chicago-based team. And that was about the extent of my entertainment. Daniel Palka, so far this year, uh, he's an outfielder for the White Sox, by the way. 115 plate appearances, 282, 313, 555. Okay, that's pretty good. That's above average. But that is not really the point. He is notable for two reasons, two extremely extreme reasons. He has six balls hit at 115 miles an hour or more this year. The only guys who have more than six, Stanton has eight. Uh, Actually, Stanton might have gotten nine, I think, yesterday because he hit one like 119 and I hadn't updated this. Judge has eight uh, and Gallo had eight. Our friend Franchi Cordero has six and Daniel Palka has six. And this is not a guy who's playing every day. So he's doing this in far fewer uh, plate appearances. The White Sox, since we started tracking all this in 2015, have hit 14 balls at 115 miles an hour or more. Palka has six, including the number one and three of the top four. Again, he's got 115 plate appearances for this team. He's sort of Franchi Cordero, but not at all like Franchi Cordero. He hits the ball really hard. He's got like, you know, an 80 exit velocity tool. You're thinking maybe this is really great. What's the hammer that's going to fall here? <laughs> oh, my God, his defense. <laughs> I, I, at I, least he plays for an AL team. He has already missed five different opportunities with a catch probability above 95%. <laughs> and I watched all of them. I went to go look. I'm like, okay, I want to make sure we're not unfairly killing this guy. They are phenomenal. They, this is like, if you could create your own blooper reel, this is how you would do it. Um, but he's, this is my favorite thing I think I might ever say on this show. He somehow has zero errors. He has a pristine 1,000 fielding percentage, which tells you everything you need to know about fielding percentage. Uh, we talked earlier about catch percentage expected added actual. His expected catch percentage is 92. These are not really difficult chances. His actual catch percentage is 71. That's a gap of 21 points. That is brutal. This is also a guy who's got the seventh best hard hit rate in baseball. I love everything about Daniel Palker. Yeah, I always like that. One of my favorite sort of like theoreticals is like, who is which baseball player is the best, would make the best slow pitch softball player? And he's like quickly like entering the conversation of uh, who would be the best slugger. I want to, this is a list that I just, just, just pulled up of um, barrel rate, barrels uh, over plate appearances. So this, this, this top 10 is amazing. Mookie Betts, number one. JD Martinez, number two. This, oh, this is minimum 75 batted ball events, by the way. Uh, Betts number one, JD Martinez number two, Joey Gallo number three, Statcast podcast favorite Teoscar Hernandez number four, oh boy. Daniel Palka number five, Max Muncie number six, Mike Trout number seven. So I tw- I tweeted all of this out a couple of days ago, right? And my point was, you cannot fake this kind of of batting skill, right? Obviously, strikeouts are always going to be an issue, but you cannot hit the ball this hard unless you have a real skill. But also, the defense looks really rough, and everybody replied to me with a variation of the exact same joke, which was, if only the White Sox had some sort of position where a player could hit but not have to field. <laughs> I guess Matt Davidson is taking part of that. Exactly. This guy is not dissimilar from Matt Davidson, but the only two players this season who have hit a ball harder than Daniel Polka are Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. That's amazing. <laughs> That's all you need to know. <laughs> you just used the, the name Daniel Polka in the same sentence as Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. Um, so anyway, we, we've talked about this in a variety of ways. I do not know if this will make him a good baseball player. It very well might not because you still got to make contact. You got to be able to play the field, but that's a skill. You cannot fake that skill. You can't fake it once. He's done it six times already. The White Sox are kind of interesting. Like they're not, they're, there's some teams that are kind of bad and they're just like not a good watch, you know, but the, the, between him and 
Moncada and Tim Anderson, who's fast, and like Davidson hits hits, yeah. hits blast. Like Adam Engel playing center field is fun to watch. There's like there's some stuff there's some stuff there to watch, and and also Lucas Giolito, who <laughs> is not it's not worked out so well so far. Anyway, Daniel Palka, um, this is your this is your moment in the sun here on the Statcast podcast. We salute you, and I'm not sure what I'm looking for the most next your next fielding opportunity or your next time up to the plate because they're both amazing. That is the MLB.com Statcast podcast. Catch you next week.